featuring the latest advances and current perspectives on an under-discussed but critical aspect of patient care. Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD. Here is your host, Dr. Maureen Willihan. One of the most common barriers for pleasurable sex is pain. How can we help our patients overcome this problem? You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg. Dr. Kingsburg is a clinical psychologist and professor in the Department of Reproductive Biology at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. She is the chief of the Division of Behavioral Medicine in the Department of OBGYN at Case Medical Center, University Hospitals of Cleveland. Dr. Kingsburg has authored numerous peer review manuscripts as well as several book chapters and sits on the editorial boards for the journals Menopause and the International Journal of Impotence Research. Today we're discussing sexual pain disorders, etiologies, and therapy. Welcome, Dr. Kingsburg. Thank you very much, Dr. Wilhelm. There are four categories of female sexual dysfunction, sexual desire disorder, sexual arousal disorder, orgasmic disorder, and sexual pain disorders. Talk to me about sexual pain disorders. Sure. Well, it's not a very sexy topic, but in reality, sexual pain disorders are very, very common and often go untalked about, particularly with healthcare professionals. Patients are usually loath to bring it up, even though they suffer tremendously, particularly postmenopausal women. But like I said, they're very common. So when we name them, there are really six female sexual disorders, and two of them are in the pain disorder category. One is dyspareunia, and the other is vaginismus. Dyspareunia is essentially any pain that occurs with sexual encounters in the genital area, particularly with penetration. And vaginismus really is an anxiety response, which is the vaginal muscles tensing, preventing usually any penetration. It's not necessarily a pain disorder. It's lumped in there, but it's not really a pain disorder. It's much more of an anxiety disorder. And who comes to your office with these problems? Well, surprisingly, many women come to my office if they actually get the referral from their physician or nurse practitioner to get to me. Unfortunately, you know, I'm sort of the second line because not everybody knows I exist or that people like me exist. And really, the first line needs to be the general primary care or OBGYN or nurse practitioner who's seeing women in their offices for a a variety of reasons. But if we think about it, about anywhere from 15 to 25% of women at some point in their life will have a sexual pain disorder. So whether that's going to be dyspareunia or vaginismus, dyspareunia is way more common because it can occur either deep dyspareunia, which would be things related to, say, pelvic adhesions or endometriosis, or what we call superficial dyspareunia, which would be things like vulvar vaginitis or vaginal atrophy from lack of estrogen or vulvar vestibulitis, all kinds of dermatologic conditions. And like I said, those are very, very common. Vaginismus, not as common, but more common than women and healthcare providers think with anywhere from 1% to 6% of women having vaginismus, which usually results in no sexual penetration ever. So I see a lot of women who come through actually with unconsummated marriages or at the point that they're trying to get pregnant, really feeling like now they're desperate and that's when they actually bring the topic up and end up in my office. Well, it's very interesting that you use that as an example because that is the very patient that I saw in consultation last week. It was a woman that by her culture, they do arranged marriages. Although she considered herself 
westernized where she had to meet and date him first, she still agreed to marry the fella that her parents chose for her. Unfortunately, and this is where you may agree and tell me how you would handle the case, she mentions to me that prior to her wedding night, her girlfriends who have been married told her how painful sex was going to be on her wedding night. And so, as you might guess, on her wedding night, she could not consummate the marriage. She is visiting me three years later. Her husband is frustrated. She's frustrated. She wants to have a baby. She realizes things are really down to the final wire. And so she presents with presumed vaginismus. So you probably have seen someone like this. That is essentially the prototypical patient with vaginismus. It truly, as you described, is an anxiety response. The vagina, if we sort of anthropomorphize it, protecting the patient or the woman from what she expects is going to be anticipatory pain. So she's either been told through her culture, through reading, through, unfortunately, her you know nice girlfriends or her mother, that intercourse is going to be painful. And of course, in many cases, there's some blood. That really kind of scares women. And even though it is wanted, so let me be clear, when we talk about vaginismus, the conscious mind wants penetration. This is a wanted penetration, but the body says it's going to hurt and That can either be with just a sexual encounter, but it also can be in your office because many women who may have figured out how to have pain-free sexual encounters may also now have fear about having a pap smear or a vaginal exam, and therefore they develop this vaginismus in your office. So it can be generalized to both situations or it can be specific to one. But you are absolutely right. It is women who have this mindset that says this is going to hurt, and the vagina says you're going to put what where, I don't think so, and um, puts the clamp down on the vaginal muscles. The definition says that it's a spasm of the muscles. There's not really a spasm. It is truly the involuntary tightening of the muscles reflexively, just like if your hand was reaching for a hot stove, the brain works reflexively to pull your hand away before you can consciously be aware, because if you waited for your conscious mind to pull your hand away, you'd have a third-degree burn. So the brain works to try and shut down any danger, and that's what happens in these cases. So the treatment really is a cognitive behavioral approach of graduated exposure to penetration with the woman always in control with no experience of pain, and it is hugely successful. And in the cases where we can't just succeed with a cognitive behavioral approach, then pelvic floor physical therapists are hugely helpful in helping women work through the vaginal tightening. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, and I'm speaking with Dr. Cheryl Kingsburg, and we're discussing sexual pain disorders. So I'll tell you in this patient, I realized that the exam may be a challenge for all the very reasons you mentioned. And so I chose a very small speculum, and I talked to her constantly through the exam, telling her each thing I was going to do. And as you might guess, since I was believing that her fears were what her girlfriends told her, I was able to insert a speculum without difficulty. She was apprehensive, but no more apprehensive than a nearly virginal girl having an exam. And I was able to complete both the speculum and the bimanual exam with a lot of time and patience. So my presumption was that this patient would do well because she was willing to try and that she just needed the adequate therapy, whether it be counseling plus pelvic floor physical therapy that I want to talk about more in a couple minutes. On the dyspareunia side, 
we talked a little bit about insertional dyspareunia or pain when it's going in or deep dyspareunia, which is pain with deep penetration, very different etiologies, which you explain nicely. Sometimes in the younger girl who's been on long-term birth control pills, we will see insertional dyspareunia. Have you heard of that? Unfortunately, yes. And we talk about all the benefits of oral contraceptives, but unfortunately, there are some downsides to it as well. You know, when you have somebody on and control hormones like that for a number of months or years, unfortunately, there can be some downsides. When you change that hormonal milieu, in some cases, that's going to create the kind of tissue change that will lead to superficial and insertional pain. And I think that OBGYNs miss this all the time. I have to say that prior to a few years ago, I would not have believed that existed. Now that I look for it, you see that pale, uh, that thin, sometimes engorged mucosa, but it is definitely an atrophic look. And so I would generally use an estradiol cream topically in these patients. Is that what you would choose? Well, absolutely. I work with 25 OBGYNs, and they are now so much more willing to even ask about pain changes because now they can sort of refer to me. But absolutely, having them use a local estrogen or topical estrogen is so much more helpful for these women who otherwise are really suffering in silence. You know, we sort of have trained OBGYNs to pay attention to postmenopausal women and vaginal atrophy, not always, but we don't really think about a premenopausal woman with an atrophic vagina. Why would we think that? So waking them up to the fact that sometimes we have these iatrogenic effects of all these things we do to try to help women, that we really have to pay attention to the downsides. We cannot state enough how important it is to give doctors ideas of how to bring this up to the patients. I always ask patients, are you sexually active? And I'll get a yes or a no. And we boil down to who has the problem, him or her. And if it's her and it's painful, I say, is it pain on insertion or pain when he thrusts deep? And when they answer that, I then, based on the age, will go through my algorithm of how to address it. But if you don't ask They won't tell you. They assume that you're the doctor and that you should know this. It's magic. I couldn't say it better. I spend, you know, many an hour fretting over how to educate physicians and healthcare professionals in general to open the door to talking about sex. Really, patients are waiting for their physician to ask about it because they will not bring it up first. They don't know whether their healthcare professional is going to be embarrassed by it, if it's an appropriate thing to ask. And if you ask, an interesting study that was done a long time ago, Glory Bachman did this study where she watched to see what the rate of responses to sexual problems were, whether she waited for the patient to spontaneously bring it up or whether she asked. And if she waited for the patient to bring it up, the rate was about 3%. When she asked, it was about 20%. Huge difference. And so I think that doctors, primaries, OBGYNs, are fairly comfortable with recognizing vulvovaginal atrophy. But again, if the patient doesn't complain about it, then they sort of indicate that it's a normal way of life or expected in this time of life. So I try and get people to think against that. Now, earlier you were talking in our vaginismus patients about the importance of pelvic floor physical therapy. Describe to us what that is. Fortunately, we now have a new subspecialty of physical therapists who are, you know, 100% female that work with pelvic floor muscle fascia just like they would any other area of the body. It's an interesting thing because not only are healthcare professionals not usually familiar with this subspecialty, but patients look at me like, these people do what? And it is a, 
it's a fascinating subspecialty because it's perfectly suited for patients who have had urogynecologic problems or even simply things like superficial or insertional dyspareunia. Sometimes, even when there is not a physiologic cause anymore, like your patient who comes in three years after now having this muscle tightening, the muscles are now so tight that they really do need the extra help, not just from the psychological and sort of cognitive perspective, but from actually using physical therapy techniques to loosen the muscles and stretch the tissue that you can't really do on your own. So in those cases, pelvic floor physical therapists are invaluable. So I'd like to thank Dr. Kinsberg, who's been our guest, and we've been discussing sexual pain disorders. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, and you've been listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts, or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD, hosted by Dr. Maureen Willihan. 